Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy Collins, the host of Theana Money. So this week we have another interview, this one with Matt Williams from the podcast formerly known as How to Build a Tent, now known as The Matt Williams Show. I will tell you guys what, I have been listening to this podcast since... It first started going on three years ago now, and it's a good one, and I was really excited to be able to do an interview with Matt Williams, where we talk about all kinds of different things related to economics and economics as they relate to the current political climate. So I hope you all enjoy this episode, and let's jump in. Did I tell you that... Theana Money is part of Cruise 4 Ministries, who put on the Post Mill Conference that no. the US Post Mill is part of. Oh, no. That's great, though. I'm still not Post Mill, but I'm glad to be part of it. <laughs> Brandon basically said we need some kind of podcast that relates to economics in some way. So, Jeremy, get on that. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. How long have you been doing it for? Um, the first episode will hopefully drop here soon. I'm waiting on the guy designing the logo to get back to me. I drew up some sketches of what I thought would look good and gave them to him a little bit back. And I'm just waiting on him to get back to me so that I can create social media stuff and get it started. Very cool. It's exciting. Mm. Yeah. So um, let's go ahead and get it all going then. This let's is Jeremy with The Auto Money and... I have with me today, Matt Williams from formerly known as How to Build a Tent and now <laughs> known as the Matt Williams Show. That's right. And Reform Jellical as well. Yeah. The conspiracy theory show that <laughs> always turns out to be true somehow. <laughs> you know, just a week or two ago on Reform Jellical, you and AD were making fun of guys drinking tea. And right now I have green tea in the uh, How to Build a Tent mug. <laughs> to be fair, it was more of AD making those jokes because I do enjoy green tea myself. <laughs> with a spot of honey as the british yeah. say just a bit ago i actually finished a glass of something i got the idea of or i first learned about from you uh it was field of greens oh yeah yeah i still use that all the time mm-hmm. it's really good it is good yeah yeah so uh matt today i wanted to bring you on the show to talk about business and economics because you are definitely a business guy i have no idea how many businesses you've started now <sighs> Oh, geez. Probably between six and 10. <laughs> Just depending on what you classify as a business, because some of the things were like side hustles and things I helped other friends launch and things like that. So between six and 10, I would say. That's cool. And uh, yeah. I know on your podcast recently, you've been talking a lot about the future and what you yeah. think that may entail. Yeah, it's uh, really interesting for a number of reasons and kind of one of the reasons you mentioned I was currently on my show was called how to build a tent and now it's the Matt Williams show is because I don't well basically I'll put it in biblical terms the wall is torn down 
And to just ignore that and think that we can build businesses within the gates, even though we have no walls of protection and the enemy is going to be coming in, it seems pretty foolish. So uh, I think this is a time in our lives where we are switching back to, uh, I was trying to figure a rational way to say this because I don't want to seem crazy because I think it's uh, the more sane we can seem, the more uh, helpful we will be to people. But I believe we're kind of going into the, the pre-war, World War I kind of scenario back in the early, uh, what was it, the 1910s, 1920s, um, where we're starting to see these things happen again. And, um, you know, business looks a lot different and how we think about our household economy and how we think about investing shifts a lot different in wartime versus peacetime. And so whatever that looks like, I'm not exactly sure. Um, we need to adjust and think through how to prepare for these things if they do happen. Yeah, that's good. I think it's good to be prepared. I'm reading right now, uh, C.R. Wiley's Man of the House. I read a few months ago, his Household in the War for the Cosmos. And he's really talking about in that book, preparing for stuff like that, making sure your household is in order because mm-hmm. You know, as great as different things that have come about for like production lines and the supply chain and things like that in the last century, they really make us fragile when it comes to a dust storm messing with a ship and a canal can basically ruin the entire worldwide economy for a few days. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just think about it in a military perspective, your supply chain and your supply lines. Um, even back in the medieval times where you always needed water and the farther you spread out from water, the more vulnerable you were to get your army to be able to be hydrated and supplies for food. So too in business, the more spread out you are globalized, although in peacetime, and this goes back to what we were just discussing earlier about the differences, is that makes a lot of sense because you can get cheaper labor in developing countries. But now we're also seeing, oh, but when you diversify into states that want to destroy you, like China, they actually hold all the cards. And then all these disruptions, purposeful or not purposeful, like that Suez Suez Canal situation, whatever you think it was, that can hinder a whole lot of your supply chain. So um, I think there needs to be a lot of fortification discussions, not just with us personally in our small businesses, but corporately as well, because um, there are a lot of potential threats. And as business entrepreneurs or leaders in bigger corporations, you constantly have to be thinking about potential threats. Not that all of them are going to happen, but you think about them in a way of how do you hedge against the likelihood of some of the bigger ones happening to you? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So what do you think uh, right now with things you think might be coming in the future. What do you think preparing for that, especially for husbands and fathers trying to make sure their family is prepared for things that might be coming two years, six years, 10 years from now? We don't really know. We just know things don't look great unless something changes. Yeah. Well, okay. There's two questions that I get a lot regarding that. And one of them is specifically with inflation. What do we do with inflation? And for just for those of you who have never heard my show before, I, I have a firm belief that all of our economic models need to be rethought and our definitions need to be rethought specifically with inflation is one of them, because all of our foundational premises, premises that we have from economics has been created in early 1940s, 50s, and maybe a little earlier in closed systems where we didn't have a globalized Uh, economy. So not that necessarily the math is wrong, 
but you have to think of it not as individual closed systems or countries, but as one globalized system. And so when you think about inflation and dollars chasing goods, you can't just think of it in the United States anymore because the dollar affects other countries as well as used in other countries as a currency that is used. Uh, and so there's a lot of speculation and guesses about where real inflation is and um, some thoughts about the CPI and the index for inflation and how it's measured with the specific goods used to track. But we all know food prices have gone up. We all know that lumber has gone up. I think it's uh, up 190% the labor, the lumber cost right now. A lot of that is because of the supply chain. A lot of that is because of demand and those kinds of things. But I think with all the spending that is happening, we should be thinking that it is a real possibility that inflation is going to be hitting our bottom line as a family with food prices, energy costs, and things like that for a number of different reasons, either demand pull inflation or cost push inflation. And so one of the things you want to be thinking about is what can you do to ride that inflationary wave? And this is going to sound a lot of uh, counterproductive or counterintuitive or blasphemy if you are a, um, a person that believes in not taking out debt. But what the government wants to do and what the Fed wants to do is inflate our dollar to a point where they can pay off our debt and be able to carry large amounts of spending that we're doing in the government. And so instead of trying to fight that and to plan against it, one of the things that you should really think about doing is taking out loans and taking out debt, not for things that don't generate money, but for things that can bring a return on your investment. So not taking out debt to buy a car per se, unless you're going to be an Uber driver or a Lyft driver on the side or start your own taxi business where you can generate revenue, but look for ways that you could take out fixed rate loans to buy a house for a rental property, buy a business, buy some kind of asset that can generate revenue. Because as inflation happens, your fixed rate, the cost of borrowing that money is going to stay fixed. And your return on investment is going to get greater and greater as inflation happens, you raise prices and those kinds of things. And then the second thing is, how, what do we do if the supply chain does break? And one of the things that I've been trying to think through myself, because I honestly haven't done the due diligence I should have five, 10 years ago, is what does it look like to invest locally, not be exposed to cancel culture digitally or banks that can cut you off from accepting payments like what we're seeing for Christians specifically, but what can it look like to have a business locally and invest in the community, build relationships where if inflation becomes hyperinflation and there's nothing we can do to really prevent the damage from that. We will all um, exp we will all be hurt by hyperinflation. Um, but what would it look like where we could do business going back to bartering if that is the case? If, if it takes $10 trillion to buy a, a meal because of hyperinflation, well, maybe there's a way that we can build Christian communities and think through the process of what that looks like so we can just throw away the dollar and kind of do a, a barter exchange. So those are the two things that I think are important for all of us to think through. Yeah, that's good. Actually, one thing I've told Brandon, because I'm part of the church plant that he's doing with Cruciform Bible Church, I'm not an outer or anything, just kind of part of the launch team, is we awesome. want to try to get people that are in like every sector of the economy, if we can, members of the church. So if they try to financially cancel Christians, or even if that that's not what happens, there's just hyperinflation and stuff like that. 
we can almost just have our own micro economy of members of the church buy and sell almost exclusively with other members of the church. Cause you've got a couple members of the church who are farmers, a couple who mill wood, some woodworkers, different stuff like that. Right. All things that are very important for living <laughs> that we've taken for granted for a long time. And also kind of taking the principle from Joseph in Egypt, where he had the dream of a famine coming after seven years of prosperity. And so he basically, because he knew the shifting of where the economy was and where demand was going to be because of the famine, it almost created a new industry where collecting and storing food became really high in demand, right? And the whole nation ended up selling everything because he recognized the shift in demand and the new industry of storing food uh, that would come from that. And there's going to be things like that for us too. Like for example, no one that I know in my age range or lower knows how to can food. But if there comes a day where inflation does happen and supply chains are frozen and we don't have uh, the ability to just go to the store and buy food, we're going to have food shortages like we see in other countries like Venezuela. Venezuela was actually a pretty rich country until they totally screwed it all over, right? That could happen to us too. So you know, the skill of canning food and preserving food will actually become pretty important. And you may be able to create value and be able to not only store food for your own family, but also provide that service for others where no one knows how to can food anymore. So maybe thinking about those skills and learning those will be helpful as well. Yeah. So this will tie back in that in a minute. Just by God's providence, I like accidentally did something that was a really great business decision. I bought the house I'm sitting in right now. I closed on it January 31st of 2020. Congratulations. Like a, Yeah, like a month or two before all this stuff that I had no idea was going to happen happened. So it was like, by God's providence, I like accidentally made this great uh -huh. business decision buying a house right before COVID happened. But um, yeah, it's sitting on just over a third Fantastic. of an acre of property total, which isn't a ton, but it's enough I can do some stuff with. So one thing I've talked with my girlfriend a right. little bit is after we get married, trying to have like a pretty good system going using the pro property productively. I have a friend who can help me get some stuff started. He can get fruit trees really cheap. So he's told, told me he'll sell me those fruit trees as cheap as he gets them and get some stuff going in the backyard. And I was even telling my girlfriend just a couple of weeks ago that once we're married, we should look at canning food, like growing a bunch of green beans and canning green beans. And then we can have <laughs> green beans once or twice a week, every week and never have to buy them. Cause they're just the green beans we grow ourselves. And, you know, maybe we won't never have to go to the store, but if right. half of our, the food we eat, we grow and produce ourselves, then that one lowers costs as long as things are peaceful. And two buys us a lot of time when things, when, and if things are no longer peaceful. Right. Yep. Exactly. Right. And it's not like we should have an unhealthy paranoia or fear of the world. Like obviously we trust God for everything and he is in control and he is going to protect us until the day he calls us home. But also we need to be good stewards of our land, but also of our families. And we need as, especially as men, as head of households, we need to be thinking of these things to protect and to, um, you know, bless our families. And so it's not a, a paranoia and fear, but it's out of love that we are doing these things. Yeah, scripture says that a man who doesn't provide for his own family is worse than an unbeliever. Like, you know, a wife also has responsibilities to her family, but the husband is the one in the authority there. Is it's his responsibility to take care of his family. 
God's primarily going to be looking at the husband if something falls apart with the family and he could have done something to prevent it or stop it once it did start and didn't do anything. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes beyond just economics too. I know this is we're specifically talking about economics, but we need to be preparing our family and our wives, our children for what, what does it look like if we do have to ration food and what does it look like to trust God in those shortages? And what if we do have to get canceled because we don't do the vaccine passports or we don't get the credit score that they're rolling out from banks and we are Christians and so they don't want us to buy and sell with them anymore and they close down our churches? Well, how are we preparing our kids for that today? Like, what is, how are we training them up to fight those battles? It may not come in our lifetimes, but with the trajectory of things, at least in the United States, it sure looks like it's going to come in our kids' lives. And so we need to be not just fortifying ourselves economically and physically with food, but also very much spiritually and mentally re- being resilient to trusting God and fighting those battles. Yeah, that's really good. I love that. Uh, so I've got another question. What, what do you think are occupational things that people can try to do to try to hedge against what may be coming like businesses that might collapse if hyper immediately collapse if hyperinflation became a reality or other businesses that would still be essential even in that time and kind of go with the tide a little bit yeah i i think we need to very be very careful of differentiating between inflation and hyperinflation because mm-hmm. inflation 5 10% a year, 15% a year. I don't, I consider that bad and hurtful. I don't consider that hyperinflation. When I say hyperinflation, I'm thinking like a thousand percent a year. Yeah. Like you go to the grocery store tomorrow and then you go next week and that can of green beans that was a dollar is like $3 the next week. Correct. Like where you start getting paid daily because every two weeks will make your income insufficient and you'll die. And those are real things that happen in hyperinflation where you start to get paid daily or sometimes in the morning and afternoon, depending on how crazy it is. And these are things that have actually happened. So it's not just like fictitious, maybe once in a blue moon, this happens. This is what happens in hyperinflation. And in those cases, I just think you get your guns and you try to grow food yourself and you pray to God that he restores our nation. I don't really know what to do in hyperinflation because it's a, I believe that's a judgment on just the government not following God's principles and you just got to let it sit through it and write it out. Um, But for normal quote unquote inflation and dealing with the cancel culture and all of those things, what I've been thinking about is detaching from my normal business focus, digital businesses, service industries, things that rely on the internet because I can get canceled from all of those. They can take your domain name, they can take your server space and all that stuff. And I can't compete personally with building my own servers and all that stuff. So I'm going back to the fundamentals. What are things that people need that don't require the internet? Well, housing in Florida, where I live, and this this will differ regionally, but for my example in Florida, the housing market's going crazy because we do have a good governor and everyone's moving here. We're, we're an open, for the most part, state. And so... What do houses need? They need windows. They need lumber. They need painting. They need furniture. They All those different things. So I'm thinking, okay, businesses like that, I'm not going to get canceled from. I can do all of those things on my own. I can hire people. I can take payment in cash and check. 
I can have a local bank and not have a big bank that's going to be woke. And so those are the ways that I'm thinking. It may be different depending on your region, but what are local services that you can market to your local community that you don't need to scale out to the rest of the world with the internet? Yeah, that's really good. That's some good ways to think about it. I'm curious now, are there any memoirs or books that were written on what people tried to do to survive in 1920s Germany? I mean, how to survive pre the World War? I don't know any off the top of my head. But but those would probably be really good books to read and find out about. Yeah, because that post-World... Post World War One Germany, when they were experiencing that hyperinflation in the thousands of percents, that's the exact thing we're hoping never comes to America, and Lord willing, it won't. But things are have been crazy the last year, so I don't even know anymore. I know it's crazy, and when you look at after World War One and before World War Two, because I don't know a lot of if you guys that are listening are history buffs, but a lot of what happened that led to World War II was the treaties that punished World, the Germany for World War I. They made them impoverished and all these different things. And so people were rallying around the socialist agenda, the National Socialist Party or the Nazis, and doing things for the greater good, doing things. They were agreeing with the Nazi message because it was expedient for the businesses. And so we're seeing those exact same things replicate 100 years later. And that's why I think that is a great model for us to look at and for like your suggestion, read those books and see what it was like beforehand to try to avert it from happening. Because I think history repeats itself and we're going right back to that same you know, track. Yeah. And every good economic savior always needs a scapegoat, which for Hitler was the Jews. For America could be straight white Christian males because of intersectionality. I don't know. Well, they're exactly publishing those kinds of things already and saying like the biggest obstacle to having herd immunity through vaccination because they don't count herd immunity through the nat- the natural way of getting it when you survive the illness and you have the, the uh, you know, the blood cells or whatever it is to be resilient to it. But they don't count that. And they're saying to vaccines and they're blaming Christians for not wanting to take it and that they're the problem, that they're the health emergency just like what they blamed the Jews for. They said they were unclean. They said they were the problems for the economy. They said that they were a health risk and that's why they needed the gold stars and they needed to stay away and they couldn't frequent the businesses. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's just masks instead of gold stars. Yeah. And I was reading a couple months ago, Thomas Sowell's book, uh, Black Rednecks and White Liberals. (laughs) Yeah, And in that book, yeah, he pointed out that just in the decades before World War I, beginning of the 20th century, end of the 19th, Germany was really the best nation out of all the nations in that part of the continent for Jews. Like they really had it great in Germany a lot better than in other nations, which is why Germany had a higher population of Jews than some of its surrounding nations. Mm -hmm. So if that can happen with Jews in Germany, it can happen with just about any people group anywhere. Yeah. And it happens to the Jews quite a lot. I mean, I don't know of any more persecuted people than the Jews. (laughs) Being part Jewish myself, I'm very familiar with this. Now, I know we have a little bit of a difference on theology and eschatology, but even as post-mill, I think God will still, in some sense, preserve ethnic Israel. So I think you can kind of see that through history. Because I think Romans 11 says there will be a, we are like in the time when God's mostly saving Gentiles right now. I think there's going to be a revival Mm -hmm. of Jews that will lead to an even greater revival among Gentiles. So, I mean, you might, even as a dispensationalist, you might still kind of take a similar interpretation in that part. 
Uh, I I don't call consider myself a dispensationalist, although I am pre mill. Uh, but I, I I agree with all those things you're saying. I just think it's going to happen in a millennial mm-hmm. reign. <laughs> I thought you still consider yourself dispensationalist. Uh, I believe that covenantal with some differences the way God's works under those covenants. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um. I grew up in the Baptist Bible Fellowship International, so I grew up dispensational. Okay. If you've never heard of them, um, GB Vic, if you know who he is, he was like one of the founders of it. Okay. Yeah, I grew up in Southern California in the era of independent megachurches. So denominations in a whole are weird to me. I don't understand them. Um, I just under, I just focus on like specific churches and then one pastor that's like a celebrity, uh, which has its own problems, obviously. Uh, so all of the like new learning about the SBC, doing work with the Founders Ministry and being on a network with a bunch of Presbyterians, it's been a big learning curve for me. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Well... It's been great to have you to uh, and to talk about some epi- economic things for the future. I hope this wasn't too depressing of an episode to listen to, but gave people some ideas of things to think about so they can prepare well and maybe not necessarily prepare by trying to make an underground bunker with 10 years worth of food, maybe prepare in other ways than that. Well, if you do, let me know so I can crash it if things go bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't want to keep you too long because... I know you probably have a ton of meetings and business stuff. So thank you for giving me a bit of your time. Yeah, Jeremy, thank you for having me on the show. It was a real fun time. Thank you. Yeah, it was great to have you. Thanks and have a good day, man. Yep. God bless. God bless. So that was my interview with Matt Williams. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace. Say